0: Welcome to New Testament Topics with Brother Elliot Maloney, a Benedictine monk and professor of New Testament studies at St. Vincent's Seminary, Latrobe, Pennsylvania. Hello, this is Brother Elliot. I recently wrote up uh, a little paper for the Priest magazine on uh, the person uh, who wrote the Gospel of Mark, and I would uh, like to share some of those ideas here on this podcast that we'll talk about the spiritual depth of the evangelist, Mark. Uh, There has been much appreciation recently of Mark's ability as a writer, as a dramatist, as a literary creator but not much has been written yet uh, on his deep spirituality. There have been a couple things, but um, not, not too much. I'd like to start off with showing how Mark uses the literary um, technique of, of being ambiguous on purpose. Uh, we could even call it misdirection. He does it already in the beginning of of his text, where the title actually of Mark's gospel is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, the beginning of the gospel could be the beginning uh, of the story of Jesus, which would be the very thing that Mark talks about first the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan. However, at the same time, since this is the title of the book, of the story, it could mean that for Mark, the whole story of Jesus' ministry, including his death and resurrection, that is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. And even up to our own day, we're continuing the gospel story. Well, before Mark's great innovation, uh, when he wrote down the life of Jesus as we have it, and we call it the gospel of Mark, the term gospel referred to the good news in the preaching. So, When Mark did this, when he wrote down the whole ministry of Jesus, he did something really rather new. Uh, He uh, showed us the whole story that makes sense of why and how Jesus gave his life for us and how God raised him from the dead. Now, Mark had to gather a good deal of information. There's about 90 numbered paragraphs in the gospel, and most of them were not really together. There were a few things together. There were some miracle stories, probably, some controversy stories, uh, and the passion narrative, probably. But Mark put them together in his own way. Uh, to He selected the stories because he wanted to have them in a certain order. He used parallels. He set up themes by several stories. He used one story or one line to foreshadow later developments. He used a sandwich technique where he put one story in the middle of another story, like the woman who touches Jesus' garment to cure her uh, hemorrhage in the middle of the story of Jesus' going to the daughter of Jairus to cure her, actually, to raise her from the dead. Uh, We have insider information given to us as readers. Uh, Even, as I say, the misdirection. uh, We'll have an example or two of that coming up uh, in understanding who Jesus is. It brings us into the story. Mark knew what he was doing when he was doing. Mark layers, for example, his Christology. He he, he gives it to to us in pieces. The people in the first part of the gospel, even the disciples of Jesus, even the apostles, who is this man, they say? They don't understand who Jesus is. But uh, Slowly, Mark teaches us. Now, for the reader, we get the inside information in the prologue. When we are actually shown by Mark that inside information of Jesus' very personal experience with God, when God says after the baptism, "'You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased.'" No, these are very strong Old Testament allusions. So Mark is teaching us here, see? So the one with whom God is well pleased, of course, in the Old Testament, is the suffering servant of Isaiah. Remember, those are those four poems in the latter part of Isaiah uh, where the servant, my servant, bore the sins of many. By his death, our sins have been forgiven. And the beloved son that God says, Jesus is my beloved son. In the Old Testament, that's Isaac, the son who was to be sacrificed by his father. It didn't happen in the Old Testament, but it does happen with God the Father and Jesus. So I, I say that the, the, the Christological thickness of this text is really something. You see how Mark is telling us, if we have the ears to hear, he's te- telling us quite a bit. Okay, we see uh, the closeness of, the, of Jesus to his father here at this part of the story. But we're tempted to think that God has abandoned Jesus on the cross. You know, Mark, again, shows us the depth of Jesus' fear when he has him cry out in his own language, Eloi, Eloi, lama shravachtani? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But that's a prayer. That's Psalm 2. Uh, Psalm 22, that is. Um, Indeed, presence in Mark seems more like absence sometimes. For example, when the uh, disciples are out on the boat with Jesus, who's sleeping in in the back on a cushion, Mark says. Mark loves to give you those little details. He was like sleeping on a nice comfy cushion. Uh, they're in their boat, which is clearly a symbol of the church. Huh? And they're buffeted by the primeval chaos of the sea, this water, turbulent water, that's clearly a symbol of evil. huh? But it was their faith that causes them to turn to Jesus to save them. I mean, even though it wasn't very strong, uh, they relied on Jesus' presence, and guess what? It worked. He did save them. So Mark is teaching us here that we must be patient until the power of God reveals itself. See, for, for Mark, the opposite of faith is not disbelieving. The opposite of faith is fear. Fear. Faith is used in the gospel, uh, not so much of a belief in creedal statements about God, but really in the gospel it always refers to confidence that Jesus is able to save a situation. No matter how dire the situation may be, Jesus says, this is the time of fulfillment the kingdom of God is at hand. But the kingdom does not seem to be very visible apart from faith. With faith, Jesus can heal the epileptic boy. The father says, I believe but help my unbelief. Without faith, Jesus cannot help. Mark says in chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, Jesus could do no mighty deed in his own town of Nazareth. He marveled at their lack of faith. Mark also uh, presents Jesus as interacting with religious leaders in ways that confuse them uh, and challenge their hold over people. We could almost not blame them because of Jesus' enigmatic behavior How can this man proclaim God's forgiveness of sins without all the proscribed uh, temple sacrifices? Uh, And then they ask, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? But he answers them, I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners. When they challenge his healing activity, uh, 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 as breaking the Sabbath law, he confounds them. He says, well, what do you think I ought to do? Help people or harm them on the Sabbath? Um, They attribute his power to heal to Beelzebul, and he confounds them again. He says, hey, you're sinning against the Holy Spirit, and even God can't forgive you that sin. No wonder Mark tells us That already then and there, right in chapter 3, at the beginning of the story, they took counsel against him to put him to death. See what Mark is doing. Mark is showing how controversial Jesus is, but how deeply we have to look. Uh, For example, Mark's Jesus uses parables even when he is asked to explain the parables. This is because, remember he says, the mystery, how will you understand all the parables? Uh, Because the kingdom can only be understood by those who are with Jesus. Jesus calls the apostles to be with him. You, You have to learn how to use the power of the kingdom in a Christian community. From Jesus. Jesus tells the disciples that they are insiders because the mystery of God, of the kingdom, sorry, the mystery of the kingdom has been granted to you. Chapter 4 in the parable chapter. Well, the mystery of the kingdom is Jesus, of course. See, they don't get it because they don't really understand until Jesus makes the supreme sacrifice of the cross for them. And then, I mean, before the resurrection, they run away in fear and doubt because they, they don't know. They're not sure. I mean, cowardice comes from insecurity, from fear. Even the women at the empty tomb who actually were with Jesus till the end, but they end up being completely blown away by the angel saying that he's resurrected and seized with trembling and bewilderment, the text says in chapter 16, they said, the women said nothing to anyone, for they were terrified. And Mark ends the gospel there, that we have to fill in the end of the story with our own life. Well, the so-called messianic secret, you know, that nobody really understands who Jesus is, that's really a misnomer. Not only does nobody understand the identity of Jesus as the Messiah, but the kingdom itself is a mystery. It's as small as a mustard seed, and yet it's a light bright enough for all to see. God's demand, God's plan demands for us to suspend our normal ways of thinking. God's way is surprising. It's thinking outside the box. Do you know there's plenty to eat if everybody would share? Well, Mark pulls no punches when teaching us how difficult it is to participate in the kingdom. The hardest part of suffering required by God in following jesus is not knowing what god is up to but having to trust that god will do as jesus has affirmed but in god's own time and in god's own way frustrating of course at times surely the crucifixion is a very unpredictable way to show God's tender love. And yet, Mark shows us that it was Jesus' finest hour, his complete gift of himself for others. Hear the irony, the irony in his enemy's taunt. He saved others, he cannot save himself. Guess what? He is saving others. In an ultimate stroke of irony, the dramatic flair that I think Mark just can't resist, the first human being to acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God is a Roman centurion. Mark knew that there would be difficulties for believers in every age, for the persecution of the early church, as he He has Jesus say in the eschatological discourse, Jesus' farewell discourse, the persecution of the early church was only the beginning of the labor pains. Since the gospel must first be preached to all the nations, Mark has given us a moving story of how God works in mysterious ways and shows us in the actions of Jesus how to be patient in our faith, even in the most troubling circumstances. Because, as the angel says, chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus is going before you to Galilee. Or does it mean Jesus is going before you in your own Galilee? There you will see him. As he told you, this gospel narrative could only have been created by someone who himself knew suffering, the pain of unfulfilled hopes, even the sorrow of an untimely death of someone he loved. His faith made him write about it. His hope makes it so convincing. This is Brother Elliot Maloney. Thanks for listening in today. See you again on New Testament Topics with Brother Elliot.